0: Our scripture this morning is from the 8th chapter of Romans, verse 26. And the setting of uh, Romans uh, 8 is this. In verses 12 through 17, Paul's reminding the people that they are beloved sons and daughters of God and that the Holy Spirit testifies um, to that effect. And then he goes on to talk about the world and all creation, though, is not quite right. And it's groaning and waiting uh, for earth to become more like heaven. And then he skips on toward the end and has has that famous affirmation of faith that says uh, that nothing will ever separate us from the love of God in Christ. But right before he gets to that, he comes to this matter of prayer, and this is what he says in verse 26. In the same way, we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us in sighs too deep for words. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Paul said, we don't know how to pray as we ought. And a part of me is not surprised. I get that when Paul says it. Another translation says, Paul says, we don't know what to pray for. And, and, and I get that. I, I've been there this past fall. My mother-in-law who, um, had uh, stage four brain cancer and, um, and lung cancer hit her head and went into a coma. And, We didn't know how to pray to come out to finish facing this battle with cancer or not. We didn't know how to pray. I have a friend who has um, a son who's doing very well in his occupation and is up for promotion. And the friend said, we're... We're starting to pray for him that he gets this, but we know that if he does get this promotion, he will travel twice as much and he will be away from his family four days of every week. And we don't know if that's a good thing. We don't know how to pray as we ought. I have another friend uh, who talked about somebody we both know who spends most of his life on top of the world and therefore really has no need for God because as best as he can tell, he is God. And my friend says, you know, we should pray that a big disaster will come into his life. That he'll be brought to his knees and he'll recognize God. Pray for a disaster? I don't know about that. I I don't know how to pray. We don't really know how to pray as we ought. when Paul says that, I'm not surprised. I've been there. There are things I just can't figure out. What to pray about and how to pray uh, for what I've even if I do decide what to pray for. So I'm not surprised when Paul says that, except, and the late Fred Craddock put me onto this, it's so surprising, though, to come up and find that Paul doesn't know something. Have you ever noticed that? Paul is pretty confident. Uh, When Paul is persecuting the Christians when we first meet him, he's very confident that that's what he needs to do. He even goes to uh, other towns and rounds up uh, men, women, and children. Who are Christians and brings them back to imprison them. He's certain about what he does. And then after he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. He turns 180 degrees around. Now Paul is very certain about trying to help people come to know Jesus. And be in relationship with him. And he spends his time forming and building Christian community. And even Paul, when he's preaching and, and he runs into opposition, he's so certain that even though he's stoned and beaten and whipped, he walks back in for more. There's one town where they stone him to death and stoning works by pushing a person off a, like a fifth, at least a fifteen foot, um, ledge or cliff. And then when they hit the bottom, you start dropping rocks on them. And if they survive, they walk away. And they're free. And so Paul survives the stoning. And what does he do? He gets up and walks back into town. He's so sure about what he's supposed to do and what he's supposed to say. He's so certain that he can risk death. And then when it comes to the topic of death, first Corinthians 15, Paul is certain about the resurrection. And he, he can he can almost uh, stand at the grave and say, for we know, brothers and sisters, That if this earthly tent, he says in 2 Corinthians 5, we will have a resurrection body, he says in 1 Corinthians 15, he's so certain. So it's kind of surprising to hear Paul say, well, I don't know. or We don't know because he always seems to know. And what makes it even more surprising is this, that even though Paul doesn't seem to know about prayer, an awful lot of people really do know about prayer. In fact, they know so much that they they seem to uh, think they've got it nailed. Have you ever met anybody like that who knew exactly what to pray and was certain that if they prayed a certain kind of prayer in a certain kind of way, that things were guaranteed to happen? Years ago, I was reading a Christian magazine. There was advertisement in the magazine for a book on prayer. And the title of the book was Six Steps to Answered Prayer. And in the advertisement, in block letters, stamped on the bottom was, results guaranteed. Can you imagine? Paul said, we don't know how to pray as we ought. And I think, well, Paul, you need that book. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and says, Father, what shall I say? And I'm like, well, Jesus, read the book. There it is. I mean, so it's surprising to me that Paul doesn't know when so many people seem to know. I remember um, uh, Fred Craddock talking about this one time. I never saw this, but he claims on one of these religious TV shows that the host was interviewing a couple, and they were talking about their recent trip, and they said the taxi came to pick them up to take them to the airport, and uh, before uh, they had um, gotten in the taxi, they had been packing, and so she last-minute ironed some things and uh, uh, that she was going to wear and then some other things for him and, and uh, put them away. And she said to the host on the talk show, but we got in a taxi and we got a few minutes down the road and I thought, did I turn off the iron? Did I turn off the iron? And the host said, well, what would you do? She said, I just said, Jesus, will you turn off the iron? And then the host, of course, led right into it and says, well, what happened? And she said, well, we got home two weeks later and the iron was off. Results guaranteed. But Paul, he didn't have that kind of luck apparently. Are that kind of touch or, or I know you've seen this one because it, 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 it crops up and then disappears and then pops back up a few years later. And that is weight loss programs that you pray the weight off. Have you seen those? I've seen them. Obviously, I haven't done them, but I've seen them. And one of them, I remember in the advertisement, she's not on a, an elliptical uh, and he is not on a treadmill. I mean, they're both in the ad, you know, in prayer posture. And it says we've already paid, paid off twenty nine pounds. I'm confused. Paul doesn't seem to know. So many other people know, and then, and then you look in the Bible and, and among other famous christians and there 's kind of a difference in how people pray. They asked Mother Teresa once about her time with God, and they said well what do you, what do you ask for? What do you say and Mother Teresa said this said i don 't say anything; I just listen well that 's interesting." But I see in the Bible, though, that another guy, King Hezekiah, is one of my favorite people in the Bible. He's surrounded by 185,000 enemy soldiers that are getting ready to take over Jerusalem, cart them into slavery, tear the city down. And so the king sends a note of surrender to King Hezekiah, basically said, you're surrounded, your God can't help you, even if your God wants to. And I don't even think your God wants to, but he can't do it anyway. He can't stand up against me. And so, do you know what Hezekiah did for his prayer? He took the letter that that this bad king of Assyria wrote. He went into the temple of God, put the letter in front of God, and basically said, read this. That was his prayer. Just read this. And, of course, God answered, and 185,000 soldiers died in the night. There's so many ways to pray. I, I guess I get confused about the right way or... How to do it exactly and what exactly to ask for? Am I supposed to ask for anything at all? So, you know, I'm a little bit like Paul. I don't know how to pray as I ought. But then again, here's where I'm not like Paul. You see, when I get confused about how to pray or what to pray or try to figure out a situation, if I can't figure it out and I don't know exactly what to ask for, then I just won't pray. Or if I'm a little uh, uneasy, upset, things aren't quite working out right, I can't even do what Mother Teresa says, or I don't, just sit in God's presence. You know, when I don't know how to pray, my answer to it is, well, okay, then I just won't. But that's not what Paul did. You see, if we're talking about not knowing how to pray, the one thing that Paul did was he Prayed. I mean, go back and read his letters. This is what he says to the Ephesians, the Colossians, and the Philippians. He said, I thank my God every time when I remember you in prayer. He prays for his churches and his people constantly. Uh, this is what he says to the Ephesians. He said, I want you to pray with me that I'll have the strength to share the gospel. And it's an interesting word he puts in front of prayer in Greek, but you can probably tell what it is in English. It's agonizo, which means agonize with me in prayer. See, Paul, even though he doesn't know everything, and so this is going to be a struggle, he's going to do it anyway. And then to the Thessalonians, which many scholars believe is the oldest written part of the New Testament, written before the Gospels, written before any other of Paul's letters. First Thessalonians, this is what Paul says about 15, 18 years after the death of Jesus. He says, pray without ceasing. Do you see what's going on here? For all that Paul doesn't know about prayer, the one thing he does is he still prays. So I'm thinking he knows something. He knows something. And so I'm looking at Romans 8, trying to figure out just what it is that Paul knows. And it struck me that this is Paul. what Paul knows. A couple things. Number one, Paul knows that anytime time you pray, you are not on your own. You are not left to your own devices. He says the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, And he says, the Holy Spirit knows the hearts of people, but also the mind and the heart of God. It's an amazing thing when you pray the Holy Spirit comes into action. And the two things the Holy Spirit knows better than anyone else is the Holy Spirit knows me or knows you. You know, sometimes I don't know myself well enough to know the difference between needs and wants. Or convenience and versus strength. But the Holy Spirit knows what I really need. And then the Holy Spirit knows the mind and the heart of the Father, so knows what the Father wants for me and put that together with what I really need. And Paul says, when I pray, the Spirit puts those things together. Even though I can't audibly think or say the right thing or anything at all, the Spirit's praying. That's one thing that Paul knows is we are never alone. Whenever you pray, you are not alone. The Spirit is there with you. The second thing Paul knows is earlier in Romans 8, he knows this, that he is a beloved child of God. He knows the ruler of the universe intimately as a father. And, and, and you fathers and mothers will know this. You don't care when your kids come into the room to sit in your lap whether they have the right word and they inter- articulate it the right way. Or they make the exact request that you want them to make. You don't care about that. You care that they're, they're with you. They're just there in your lap. I think Paul knows above everything else, prayer is a relationship. And whether we ask the right thing or we ask for it in just the right way or whether we don't say anything at all, it doesn't much matter as long as we're in the lap, as long as we're sitting there with the Father. And that's essentially however you pray, whatever you ask for, whatever you don't ask for, no matter how much you talk, no matter how much you listen, It all comes down to that relationship and just being with the one who loves you the most. Uh, This past week, you may have noticed uh, uh, they were remembering, I guess celebrating is too strong a word, remembering the, uh, the 150th anniversary of the end of the Civil War. So you may have seen on TV a number of things about the Civil War, a number of things on the last week in Lincoln's life or the last day in Lincoln's life and those kind of things. And and one of my favorite stories uh, from the Lincoln White House in the Civil War years comes um, from the story of his son, Thomas, who he also called uh, Tad. And, um, And apparently Tad had the run of the White House. He was, let's just admit it, spoiled. And so he would burst into cabinet meetings. He would burst into one-on-one meetings with generals. He just always came into the Father's office whenever he wanted, whether or not he wanted something or not. He felt free with that access. And the story is told that one day there's uh, as many days, there's a long line of people waiting and hoping to get in to see the president of the United States. And he notices at the end of the line, there's a soldier and he looks rather forlorn. So he says, mister, what's wrong? And the soldier says, well, my two brothers have died in this war and I alone am left to take care of my mother and the family farm. I'm here to ask the president if I can go back home and take care of my mother. And the farm, but I don't think I'm ever going to get to ask him. And Tad apparently said to him, Mr., I can help. Took him by the hand, went through a back route, made it all the way into the president's office. And this man, this farmer, got an audience with the president of the United States, who just by the way happened to be Thomas Lincoln's father. I think that's what prayer is. However you do it or however, whatever you bring in, whatever you leave out, it's a coming in to that office anytime you want with whatever is on your heart and your mind. The important thing is not what you say or how you say it. The important thing is that you're there. This morning, as we think about prayer together, I'd like to ask Lance Freeman and Ashley Miles to come forward, and they're going to say a few brief words about our prayer room. First, I'd like to introduce one of our volunteers, our Sunday morning volunteer in the prayer room, Lance Freeman. And Lance, I wanted to ask you, why do you participate in
1: the prayer room? Um, there's many different reasons I've been trying to uh, work on trusting a lot more and uh, learning to know what love is and uh, so I, I go early on Sunday morning because uh, I just have a, a passion for the people in the congregation and people are trying to get the kids up and um, so I'm praying for y'all but I go for that reason. But then I'm also learning so much more about my family, my family that's right here. I have a relationship this way. But then, um, you know, we all have such deep praises and we all have deep concerns. And uh, some are going through uh, difficulties and some are going through joyous moments. And uh, to be able to share that with each other and seeing something bigger happen and um, um, so it's it's quite an honor to be able to do that. It's not always so easy to wake up so early in the morning, but uh, it's good.
0: Have, any, have you learned anything or maybe been surprised by something with all the time you've spent in the prayer room?
1: A uh, couple of things. Um, I work also with uh, prison ministry, and so I see some um, um, victim. Um, we, we get perspectives of being victims in so many ways in our life. And um, so it's been able for me to see that we're more victors. And um, also, um, I, I'm seeing that there's a saying that we have that, uh, oh, what a coincidence that that happened. Uh, wow, God, just a coincidence. Well, no, I'm, I'm starting to see that our God is not a coincidental God. He's a providential God. That there is heaven definitely on earth and there's a reason that we're here and there's a reason that we're sharing and um it's good to be in heaven. Right here.
0: Thank you, Lance. Ashley, tell me a little bit about what the prayer room means to you.
1: Um it means to me is um
0: when I put the name person's name on the paper, um I know that they would get prayed for whether they were happy or sad, um, it makes me feel good because when I, because I know that they get prayed for, and they and God and God will help them, and they'll also get a note too. Um, I'm doing all of this because, like, because my grandmother, um, she has cancer and she's really ill, and my dad's really sad. And so you put her name in the prayer room and the prayer room prayed.